Sedan looking for Garza, backside and in for the first goal in Atlanta United history from Yamil Assad. Take a look at history. Hi, all five shirt final. JCM Jones from the Mothership and 30 South Soccer. Joe Patrick from Very South Soccer. 92.9 The Game and the Mothership sometimes as well is right over there. And we also have the founder with us, Rob Bushry, here to talk about Atlanta United losing on XG to Nashville SC. Uh, they won in the, the actual goal column, but lost on XG. Kind of a weird one. Yeah, depends on what XG you look at, apparently. I think American Soccer Analysis, which... Uh... Well, they still lost. Well, yeah, they did. They did lose in both, but uh, game state, right? That's what we're calling game it. State. Yeah, no, exactly it, right. Yeah, I don't know. It, it was a, it was a good result, you know, like it was a result that Atlanta United needed. Uh, but I think we're going to talk a little bit about kind of the difference between the result itself, how important that was. And then obviously we're going to talk about the performance, which I think was a little bit different. Obviously, it wasn't perfect out there, but uh, we'll get into it. Yeah, no, Nashville piled up like 15 shots and we could talk about game states and everything like that. But it did kind of like mess with that xg and everything like that um it didn't matter though because pt martinez scores the first atlanta united goal in 168 days if we're keeping track i don't know if you were keeping track i was 168 days uh then he scores again a little bit later both pretty much world class and guys have you ever hated your ex so much that you go out and score two world-class goals because i've had some breakups but i've never (laughs) never like lashed out like that i don't think no, much, usually okay, I'm the sad one. Usually I'm the sad one. <laughs> so hey, so and it's my it ex who's going water. out and doing that. Watching the game with like a pint of ice cream in front of him <laughs> and like Sade playing in the background as he weeps watching these goals. That's that's pretty amazing, actually. It's a big turn. Um, guys, how much did PT hate Frank DeBoer? Open question. Can we answer that? I'll, let Rob, I'll let Rob take that one. <laughs> Uh, he he hated him about as much as I hate Adam John. So pretty damn pretty bit pretty damn much. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, Joe, you just posted the community ratings. What did Adam John actually get? I did. Those? He had, he had a four point seven three, which was actually higher than I always use a template. I always use like the last game uh, that the community ratings from that post, and then just like replace the numbers and everything. And uh, it was actually a higher rating than he had in the game against SC Cincinnati because we were too depressed to do them after the Columbus Crew game. So the last one we had was from that Cincinnati game. And in that game, I think he had like a, a two or something like that. But I think he got pulled. I think he was the one who came off. Was that right? After um, after Jake uh, Mulraney, Jake Mulraney got the red card. I can't remember. I but anyways, right. I guess technically it was an improvement. But that tends to happen when... Uh, one, you win, and people are just generally happy, and nobody really wants to kill a guy. But, I mean, he had four completed passes. So his, yeah, his player rating was actually higher than his pass total. This Gosh. this Nashville game really gave me a sense of um, that we may have mis- misunderstood um, Jake Moraine's intentions with that. He probably thought that we were better off with 10 players instead of with Adam John on the field. <laughs> <laughs> well, honestly, like I was thinking about it afterwards. It really did kind of feel like, especially when Kubo t- came on, it's not like Kubo Torres was some amazing player when he came on but it was like okay now we have a striker up there who we can play the ball to and pat and you know play through and obviously he was kind of involved in the that second goal that Pitti scored but it did and it really did just feel afterwards like oh, man it felt like we were playing with 10 men with adam john out there and again I, I i feel bad like kind of just trashing the guy because he shouldn't be in this situation you know like he is a, <laughs> he's a usl signing and he should be a guy that can come in late in the game and defend set pieces and play for five minutes 
you know? Hey, I, I'm like thinking right now, I'm like imagining like Robin Williams character in Goodwill Hunting, like looking at Adam John and just saying, it's not your fault. Yeah. It's, not your, yeah. it's not your fault as Adam John skies one over, <laughs> over the bar. <laughs> Did he even have a chance to sky I guess one he over? Didn't. Yeah, no, good. I don't know. I don't uh, know, but there really weren't that many shots for Atlanta, all considered. Yeah, there, um, I think what six, six. Yeah, uh, six. Hey. And it's weird. It didn't feel like it was like terrible an attack. And if we had done a, a preview show for this one, which we probably should have done, but whatever. Um, a lot of it would have been centered around the fact that Nashville is legitimately good defensively. Mm-hmm. At least through their first seven games of existence, they're very, very good. Uh, they've even been somewhat better going forward than I think a lot of us have realized. Uh, Teotl football talking about how through like seven games, they have the highest expected goal differential of, of just about any team ever, which is hilarious. It's only been seven games, but they have legitimate quality, especially at the back. Um, at least I thought they did until Walker Zimmerman got absolutely murked. By PT Martinez, just ruined. I don't know if Walker Zimmerman's ever going to recover from that or wearing that dumb headband he was wearing. That was really goofy. <laughs> I like Walker too. Shoot, I feel bad now. Um, One thing about Pitti's goals is like I loved how they were two like two completely different kinds of outrageous goals. Obviously, the one screamer, but then I think the one that was like I like aesthetically to see the screamers, so those are always going to be the goals that I tend to gravitate toward. But that when he skinned Walker Zimmerman there. Like, I feel like those are the positions where Pitti Martinez is going to be in more often than not. So those are the kinds of opportunities you like to see him take, because that's exactly how Atlanta United is going to need to score goals, especially when you're missing Joseph Martinez. You know, Pitti's got to be one of those guys that helps contribute in the goal scoring column, which he hadn't done previously. So it was I, I loved seeing that goal from him in particular. Yeah, I thought this I thought the first one was better, in my opinion, like obviously the shot the shot from distance is always gonna raise more people's eyebrows but i just thought overall the first goal was way more exciting and way more you, you know what you would, would expect from pity like what we all expected watching all those youtube videos and him you know dribbling past people and being that exciting player to get people out of their seats even though you know there wasn't anybody in the seats it was it was very exciting and uh for the future yeah, that's, that's something I wrote about for, for the mothership is just how much more encouraging the first one is. We talked a lot about PT just not attacking space sometimes. And to see him go ahead and do that was, was awesome. Get in the box and actually work around a defender a couple times, which is huge. Um, there's kind of a lot, I think, to talk about, too, just kind of about his positioning and something Josh Bagriansky has talked about a lot, uh, that a lot of it kind of depended on George Bellow. Getting forward from the left back position, once he got forward, it created some width and PT was able to kind of tuck in centrally. But in that goal, he was straight up by himself on the left and just got in behind somebody. And two things happened there that were wild. One, he got in behind somebody, which I don't think I've ever really think I've seen him do. Two, Eric Ometti played a pinpoint pass, which is wild. Just wild. I don't know. Um, I don't think we've ever really seen him do that. So there was a whole lot of things there that were just really, really surprising um, and an interesting way, like I said, to act out against Frankie. So I'm interested to hear Rob's take on this because Rob has gone back and watched the match again, which I have not been able to do yet, but I plan on doing probably this tonight or later this afternoon. We're recording this on a Monday. Um, but I remember thinking in the game while Remedi did have a, a great ball there, and I think that he was kind of contributing in a lot of ways that were noticeable and good you know whether it be a tackle here or there or you know a pass what what it not um I felt like the back 
the, especially the two center backs were left quite exposed on a few occasions, like exposed to the point where a Nashville forward was easily receiving the ball, turning and able to just run at those two center backs just with nobody there. And it feels like that's should be where Remedi is. So I am still a little bit skeptical about his performance, just defensively, positionally. And I think that that's always been the concerns that we've had about him kind of holding down that lone number six defensive midfield spot by himself is he's a guy who wants to go after the ball. You know, he's a guy who wants to kind of hunt the ball down a little bit, chase, chase around, run around on the field. And uh, I'm just, I'm still, I think that's still an open question as to how good he's going to be in that role. But again, Rob, I'm curious as to your thoughts on Remedi. Yeah, I think after the match, I think I put in our Slack, you know, in our usual post-match uh, dissection or whatever, that all three of the midfielders I didn't think had any bearing on the match really kind of, you know, so-so. But I made it a point to focus on Rometty and Rosetto in that mid- in that midfield on the second watch. And I was impressed by both of them, actually. I think if you're if you hear what they're trying to say about being on the front for it, being an attacking uh, team, you're always going to have those spaces, especially on their counterattack, um, where you're vulnerable. Um, Remedi definitely has a tendency to go push a bit forward. He's going to have to learn to be a little bit more disciplined if he's going to be the, the the lone security blanket in front of the back four. Um, but I thought he did a very good job um, distributing and breaking up play when he can. Um, it's going to be a work in progress in the midfield all over the place. I mean, we saw gaps. It wasn't even the midfield. Like, even the back line had huge gaps that better teams would have taken advantage of. Um, but as far as Remedi goes, I think it's an interesting concept. Um, it's yeah, Go ahead. Well, it's not even like I'm not even sure if we can really pinpoint it at, at this point in time, if that if some of those occasions were even Remedi's fault, because sometimes it could be down to the center back should be pushing higher up the field to kind of close that gap instead of Remedi being concerned about dropping back and, and, and being that shield. So, yeah, I think that we'll learn more. Again, our sample sizes are so small, but that was just something that kind of struck me as one of the main flaws that Atlanta United had in the game was just how many times. Uh, Nashville was just running, running at the two center backs that were that were just kind of in really vulnerable positions. Yeah, I think we saw those miscommunications all over the field. You're just going to have that because it's such a new system. I think once they get the chemistry going, and I'm pretty sure that was the first time those midfield three have ever played played together before. So once the chemistry starts building, I think we're going to see a lot more natural movements and uh, covering of spaces. I think it's only got room for improvement from here. If we could talk about Rosetto a little bit more, the one thing that struck me during the game about him was uh, uh, how much pace he lacks. <laughs> like, I, I always <laughs> considered him to be a, I don't know, I guess like a quicker, more dynamic attacking player. And it seems like his role with this team is going to be more of a deep lying connector type. I know uh, Stephen Glass said after the game at one point, because they were trying to get Pitti a little bit more involved in the game, they wanted to move him centrally. So they moved him central and pushed uh, and pushed Rosetto out to the left wing and went more of like a four, two, three, one ish kind of look with Remedi uh, sitting next to, to uh, Heinemann and the in glass just said it didn't, didn't work. And I think that that's down to Rosetto's pace. And there were some times when Atlanta had chances to counterattack, and you could just see and this is not just the the fault of Rosetto or, or any individual player, but the, the collection of players out there just didn't really have a lot of pace. And I always felt 
or I felt watch, watching the game just from the press box, you could just see Nashville is pushed up pretty high, uh, higher than I would have given them credit for doing prior to. I always kind of think of them as a sitting deep and bunker and protect your own area kind of team. But I actually thought they were going toe to toe with Atlanta throughout a large portions of the game. And I just felt like there was areas to be exploited. But then you would see a guy like Rosetto making a run. It's just like, uh, OK, he's not going to be burning past anybody. So I think that that's something that Atlanta can really benefit from in future games is just getting a guy like a Jurgen Dam. I think he'll be kind of a honestly a the perfect profile of player that this team needs, because I think Brooks Lennon was kind of your most the, the paciest attacking player out there. I mean, I think Atlanta's two fastest players were probably Franco Escobar and George Bello, who are both playing in defensive positions. So um, I think that that's one area where they can improve. Yeah, I feel like Nashville kind of knew what was up there. Like, that was literally, I think, the highest block they've ever played in team history. Like, it was wild, honestly. Um, I expected them to be way, way and just didn't have the <laughs> the speed, like you said. And it, it's weird to kind of think about that. And it'll be a lot better, too, when, of course, we get Ezekiel back and everything like that. For some reason, Ezekiel, not in the 18. Joe asked Stephen Glass if he had an update on that injury. Stephen Glass said, and I quote, no. So... There you go. That'll help a little bit, though. That'll help a little bit. I Just tell me a lie. Tell me it's a groin. Tell me it's a lower back. Tell me it's something innocuous, you know? If he just said, like, he stubbed his toe, everyone would have nodded and went, yeah, okay. Yeah. But now that he said no, everyone's like, well, he like got an injury when he was drag racing down Edgewood the other night. So, you know, you can make your own theories about it. Well, I mean, let's be honest. Barco was not the uh, picture of fitness in Orlando, and I do wonder if that may be the case again here we'll see i don't know it's just very weird why they wouldn't want to give any sort of reason and i will be interested to see if he appears on the uh in the game notes ahead of in the official messaging from the club ahead of the game against miami um and if he is in on that injury report if he will have the word knock next to him instead of like a body part that is typically but we'll see we'll see Oh, and then I should have mentioned one other thing that was revealed today. Fernando Meza is being evaluated today, and that is not like an evaluation to determine what exactly the injury is. That's just an evaluation to determine whether he's going to be able to play on Wednesday. So it looked like on on Twitter, it seemed like people were saying that he was getting ACL checks and all that kind of stuff. And so it doesn't appear that that whatever injury he suffered is going to be something that's long term like that it sounds like he'll generally be good but he might not be ready by this midweek he 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 also had that knock that knock the knock he had it <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i think we also have to at some point talk about our our wonderful adult son i guess he's yeah adult son george bellow for being really good again i, I think people were kind of iffy at him being mostly in a back four at a fullback position uh, but I thought he was really good, and I, and I thought he did enough defensively, which is all you kind of need from him. But again, he kept getting forward. He kept, you know, providing wit uh, for people like PT to tuck in, and that seemed huge. That seemed huge, and it's not great. Like he said, that he was one of the fastest guys out there, and it kind of reminded me of that scene in Orlando where Frank started yelling at everybody to get the ball to the 18-year-old. Um, maybe usually not the greatest game plan, <laughs> but it, it, it looks really sharp. And then he went on live team, maybe or maybe didn't drop an f bomb, and I love him. Yeah, it's it's funny. Uh, in the weeks building up to this game, I always I put out 
several predicted lineups and I would always have pity and bellow on the left side. And I would always get people yelling at me that that would never work. They're, they're, they're not defensive enough. It's always going to, especially for pity because he quote unquote never tracks back or whatever. And Bella was never good enough defensively to play left back, but it's, it's, quite interesting it worked out the way it did against Nashville I thought both of them were very good defensively had great work rates so it was very impressive to see that work out the way it did especially for Bellow because like I said uh today in the news conference I don't think he's ever played the natural left back position at this level so to see him come in and look as comfortable as he did it was very impressive yeah totally I you know I I said in our slack channel after the game Saturday night that you know, one thing we definitely learned from the game is that George Bello is the number one, is the first choice left back for this team now. And not only was that kind of evident by the fact that he was just generally selected to play in the game when pretty much all the options to play over there were available to Stephen Glass, but then the fact that he went out there and performed the way he did, I think that that was, you know, just kind of the the final. I don't, shouldn't say the final nail in the coffin because it's kind of the opposite of that. But it's like you know the the icing on the cake. Let's put it that way. Um, that he's just the best option at left back. And I think that all of us, like all three of us, have kind of felt that that was the case for a long time now, but it's just we haven't actually had the tangible evidence to see it to kind of prove our case. But I think that after a game like he played against Nashville on Saturday, he's clearly the, the best left back option on the table for, for Atlanta United. Okay, so I have a question for you all. What change would you make to this team? Oh, okay. Let's say outside of the striker position, what change would you make to this starting eleven? Do you think that you think would improve the team, um, if any? Maybe, 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 maybe you don't. I'm just kind of curious as to what you guys think. I would 100% either put uh, Manuel Castro or Jurgen Dom at right wing over Brooks Lennon. I mean, I don't want to trash Brooks Lennon too much because I think he's a pretty good player, but I just don't think he's a type of player you're going to rely on for an attacking position you need some more a little bit more dynamic who's going to either beat a defender or make something happen one-on-one and whip in a ball or play a good pass um and Brooks Lennon is a good player I just don't think he's that type of player that's going to do that for you he might can whip in across to Adam John that might can get a lucky goal every once in a while but that's about it um so I would like to see. I mean, if Jurgen Dom is not fit enough to play, I'd like to see Castro get a, a just a chance over there to just to see how that balances out for a game and see how that differs. Sam, how <laughs> <laughs> dare you? <laughs> um, I, I don't know what anyone said. I, I, I just don't. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying to not get booted out of this house by my roommates. Good, good. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't want that either. Um, yeah, I guess it kind of goes back to my point. I'm coming with you, Rob. I think that this team just needs some more pace and that guys like Manuel Castro, guys like Jurgen Dam can can give that to you. And I'm trying to I wanted to ask Sam about this first because I wanted to pull up tweets or a story. I wanted to find Felipe's quote or I'm sorry, Frank DeBoer's quote that Felipe reported uh, from his story, which was excellent, by the way, on um, the the one on one that he had with Frank DeBoer following the departure and what he had to say about Brooks Lennon, because I thought it was kind of spot on. Anyway, I can't find it right now. But uh, but basically, Brooks Lennon is like technically solid player, uh, fine player. You can play him in multiple positions because he's fit. You generally know what to expect out of a guy like Brooks Lennon, but he's never really going to be kind of a dynamic game breaker type or at least I mean I shouldn't say he'll never be that guy but he doesn't appear to be that guy right now and it's not like he's going to just all of a sudden start giving you production 
that you wouldn't have thought you were going to get from him before. So um, I feel like it's a tough spot for him because on the one hand, he's good enough, but he's like, is good enough is being a solid player on the right wing really is that good enough. Um, I feel like Atlanta, especially without Joseph Martinez, like we're going to say all the time, uh, I feel, I just feel like you need more, more potential goals, potential assists out of that spot. And just feels like Lennon is more of a, placeholder kind of player i think we might need to continue to have conversations that involve discussing this team as still kind of mediocre like gosh man i just don't know if the talent is is there (laughs) in multiple spots and it's not just at that right wing spot and it's weird to see where gressel is now and see how he's you know he's struggling under benny ball up there it's not going great for for literally anyone at dc um, and, and so with that, you maybe think that maybe he was like, you know, we'll make a college football reference from what are we at like 30 minutes in. He was like assistant quarterback, maybe was like the initial thought. Like he only thrived because he had Joseph and because he was playing in a system that allowed him to get a lot of space out wide. Uh, Brooks Lennon has proved that maybe not, maybe not quite, you know, uh, maybe Gressel did provide something that was a little special. And, and I think obviously his crossing ability was, was very apparent in that regard. Uh, but so far, Brooks is. I mean, he's trying, man. He's trying, but there's nothing creative. There's no energy there. I think specifically the thing about Gressel's crosses that were so good, and this is coming from a guy like me personally, I'm not a big fan of sending crosses in in general. Uh, I think there there are points and times in games and things in certain situations where you want to lean more on that. But just generally speaking, I'm not the kind of guy who adores a player who likes to just kind of stay super wide and put in crosses at every opportunity. But I always felt like Julian's crosses were, they almost played more like through balls because he would play them oftentimes so early in the phase of the, of the attack. Like he, he would play a cross in before players had kind of arrived in the area from a deeper position. But then obviously because of the, the, the bend on the cross, it was like, you know, like a deeper cross. It allowed players like Joseph Martinez to actually like break lines while getting on the end of that cross, which I think creates a much different dynamic for a defense and a goalkeeper to try to handle that situation. So I always felt like Gressel, while, while we do talk about his special ability as a quote unquote cross, I always felt like his, whatever we want to call that um, didn't really play out manifest itself as just like a, a, a typical cross. I think that it gave defenses a lot more to worry about. And so, and, w- and with Brooks London, you just don't really kind of have that one special quality um, that separates himself. Yeah. I made, I made this comparison in the Slack this morning that uh, Brooks London kind of reminds me of when Alejandro Bedoya was with the U S national team. He's, he's a good player. He just, he's not someone you're going to get excited about if you see him in an attacking position or in an important position. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when Alejandro Bedoya played for uh, the U.S. I want to say he started the final game of the group stage they played in 2014 against Germany. And it was just like, oh, Bedoya is starting on the wing. Um, but that's because he was able to do a job in a game like that against uh, uh, an opponent and where where you're really you know kind of outmatched and you just need legs and energy and a decent amount of quality but nothing special and yeah I I totally agree I think that assessment spot on Rob I think that that's exactly the kind of guy he is I do wonder maybe if he has the potential to play as like a more of a mobile central player but again like you're not you're just not going to 
Probably not. That's probably a terrible idea. It just struck me. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just don't know exactly what position. He's like one of the tweeners, uh, one of those tweener type of players where he's just kind of fine in multiple positions, but not necessarily stand out in anything. And he had that, you know, the one shot attempt he had, he could have scored greatest great ball to him from Bellow, and he just kind of totally flubbed it. Yeah, I think that was the best chance we created in the whole game, and yeah. he just didn't do well with it. But I think it's very interesting case with Brooks Lennon, just because it feels like he was he was brought in just for that that three four three system and to play as a wing back. So now that we've gone away from that, it's kind of like he doesn't fit anywhere in the formation. I wonder if I don't want to like go too negative, but maybe if the if they want to make a roster move, maybe he's someone they can put out there as bait. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure other teams like he's kind of the kind of player that I think a lot of other teams would would like. But yeah, I don't know. I feel like we we're typically we feel or we sound way more critical than oftentimes we are um, when we're talking about <laughs> uh, especially games that Atlanta United won. But if you really want criticism, go back and listen to the ones we did after the Orlando games. I mean, at heart, we're just we're just cold, heartless GMs playing football manager. We don't care about their feelings. <laughs> exactly. But we do care about the feelings of you, the reader, and we have a few questions from you guys, and we'll get to those just after this wonderful ad read from Joe Patrick. Before we get back into the show, did just want to remind everybody at this episode of Five Stripe Finals, presented by our our sponsor, our our partner, our um, who we go with in life, Lucid FC. That's Lucid Footwear and Clothing, not Football Club, and you can check them out at lucidfc.us. Kind of like a modern European style clothing brand, and Sam, you were you were messaging me the other day. You were like, I need to get some of that. I need to need to get some Lucid FC gear because uh, it's stylish. It's comfortable. And uh, I know that that's what you're all about, right? I said that I did. That's that literally a thing I said. And I, I'm very much enjoying being able to be live for this moment and, and listen to the ad read as it happens. It kind of sounded like you were about to break into like one of the, the passages from Corinthians. They do at weddings about Lucid <laughs> FC. Lucid FC is patient. Lucid FC is kind. All that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but maybe they are. I think they are. They are. Maybe oh they are. yeah. No, I've I've met them. Can definitely vouch that they match up with uh with First Corinthians or is it Second Corinthians? I don't know. Who who, who who's counting at this point? No one. Um, <laughs> no one. Uh, again, and also just did want to remind everybody that you can, if you were looking for a face mask, which we all hopefully already have, but if you don't have one or if you're just looking for a new one, cool one, you can get one from Lucid FC. And the cool thing about buying from them is that every one that um, they sell to customers. They also donate uh, to hospitals and other medical facilities around the world. So uh, that's good stuff. So I will say that there are like varying degrees of confidence you need to have to wear some of these, but they were, there is a range here. There is a range of, of confidence in yourself for these clothes. And, and some of them, you don't need to be that confident, which is good. But I want all of us to kind of take a look at ourselves and take a look at the Lucid FC website and decide that we're going to make ourselves better and improve ourselves until we get to the point where we can wear the single most like uber fashion thing they have on the website. Um, Because when I mentioned I wanted some Lucid FC, I don't have that confidence yet. I don't have that confidence yet, but I'm working on it. I could wear some of the lesser stuff, but I'm going to get there by the end of the year, I think. It's an aspirational aspirational, uh, thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But again, some of them are very much more uh, more cut and dry, but still have the really awesome logo on it. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks, guys. Love you all. All right, you guys had some questions uh, about this one. And I'm going to pull this up right here. We won't get through all of these because all of these are ranging from mediocre to trash. Um, do better. Um, some of them are good. You know, that's uh, our, our listeners' favorite part of the show is when you just absolutely <laughs> obliterate 
their questions. <laughs> if they would just do better, this isn't my fault. Um, speaking of do better, this first one comes from Chris Herbert, who asked, does Adam John Joy Jenga? Does he? I don't, I don't get it. Bat, is he bad at Jenga? <laughs> <laughs> is there... I didn't know. Am I, am I missing something obvious here? I don't know. I, just, I don't know. I don't. I can ask Chris later. But <laughs> yeah, we we'll, seriously we can find out. But but I guess we should answer the question straight up. We'll, we'll just do this: yes or no. Does Adam John enjoy Jenga? I say no. He's bad at it. I say yes, but only drinking gen- Jenga. Oh, okay. Rob, thoughts? Yes, but only at fundraisers for certain politicians. <laughs> Good answers. Fair. Good answers all around. Um, let's see. Uh, this one comes from GT quick. Oh, can, can, can I, can I do, can I share a quick what? thing real quick about the drinking Jenga? About so Jenga? I bring that up because oh. I used to, we used to play, we used to play a drinking Jenga game in college. And if you, if anybody ever makes a drinking Jenga set, make one brick set, um, called survivor where whoever picks that, whoever picks that Jenga piece automat like right at that point, everybody has to vote somebody out of the game. That's the best piece. Phenomenal. It creates it creates a very uh, interesting dynamic within the uh, partiers at that point. Noted. Noted. See, we got a life lesson about that. We didn't think that was <laughs> going right. anywhere, but then we got somewhere, and that's the magic of five stripe final. Um, GT Quick eighty five asks, "How great was it to see George Bellow balling out there?" He says, "Ball in." I'll say, "Balling." Um, really good. I don't know if we mentioned this enough, but George is just a really good dude. We like him a lot. Um, he's kind of like you wish he was like your kid brother kind of thing. I, I, can't overstate that enough um i think he'll continue to keep kind of getting more comfortable position um even though like he kind of went against our george winger george bellow is a winger like conspiracy theory that we've been trying to put out there he was good at left back which is which is disappointing for some aspects in that regard yeah it was like seeing the sun i'll never have prosper so i was very it was a very proud moment yeah i mean it's funny because it like we talk about being feeling like a you're watching your proud son or whatever but Seriously, we have known who he was since he was. Well, Rob has probably been tracking him maybe even before he signed his homegrown deal. In fact, I know he was because that's the only reason why I kind of had my eyes opened about uh, who he was was because of hearing about the things he was doing before he ever signed his homegrown deal with Atlanta. So it's like literally like you're watching a kid grow up and turn into a professional, which is making me reconsider a lot of things right now as I speak about it. (laughs) I want to ask this. We saw a former MLS young left back just win the Champions League um, at 19, right? George isn't that, I don't think. And I don't think many people are going to be Alfonso Davies. But what is, what? just real quick, what is George George's ceiling? Not only in MLS, but, but further. I don't see any reason why he couldn't be a, you know, a mid-table Premier League defender uh if he learns the position three or four years time and he's you know one of the best players in mls there's no reason he can't go to a you know a mid-tier type table like team like that i don't think he's ever going to be you know a top champions league caliber player but there's no reason he can't because you know left back is a very scarce position around europe and teams are going to be after him if he starts playing if he he consistently plays the way he did this past weekend there's gonna be interest in no time yeah, I think the one lesson we can learn, especially from the Alfonso Davies situation, is that you can have these drastic career escalations happen very quickly in soccer. You know, it's like I, I couldn't help but watch that game yesterday thinking about when I was like interviewing Alfonso Davies for some random thing uh, when he was in Atlanta for All-Star Game and like at that point, he was kind of bashful, shy, awkward teenage kid. And if you were to have asked me at the time, 
that this could have happened yesterday, him winning the Champions League, starting in that game in a Champions League final, I would say absolutely no way, zero way. And it doesn't mean I hate him, but I just don't think it's going to happen. I think if you would have asked Alfonso Davies that, he would have said the same thing. So um, it's pretty crazy to see. It, it was just astonishing. It opened my eyes to it yesterday. And I think that I wouldn't be surprised to see George Bellow take that kind of similar kind of leap at some point in his career. But um, hopefully he can spend this next probably season and then next season as well in Atlanta, just getting a bunch of games under his legs, which I think was really what Alfonso got at Vancouver. And then from there, who knows what will happen. But yeah, I'd agree with Rob. I think he's, I would even say he's got the potential to be higher than mid table. Like I think he could play in the champions league someday for sure. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure this is the first time he's actually played a full 90 minutes with the first team too. So not only is the first position, uh, you know, first time playing a natural left back, he, went the whole game so he's just continuously getting better and continuously getting more reaching more milestones so it's exciting to see totally and and i i want to say one more thing about what i just said like he could play in the champions league he could definitely not play in the champions like there's a wide range of what happens to a player so i don't want to like pile pile pressure on and think like okay yeah he's going to be a champions league player someday but you know it it, the the how high he goes in the game i feel like is up to him because it seems like he's got the physical ability and the technical ability to be able to to make his way up. And remember, if if Bella doesn't work out because of what was just said on this podcast, remember it's at Payson Eno, at Payson Eno for all your complaints. <laughs> uh, Jeff Akana asks, uh, will Cubo get the start in the next game? Whenever that is, I think it's Wednesday. I hope and so. I say, oh, my God. <laughs> I say yes. Yeah. Um, I- we kind of elaborate a little bit more about I know the obvious difference between him and Adam John is that Cubo was able to, I think, complete more than four passes over the span of like 70 minutes or whatever it was, uh, but maybe a little less obvious than that. What might make Cubo a better fit? I think it's important to realize that um, Cubo Torres is really good at soccer and Adam John is really not. So that's the big difference. And uh, I mean, let's just face it. Adam John is he's a big guy, a big target guy, not very mobile, doesn't have a very good first touch, doesn't do anything really except be tall um Kubo Torres is, is an experienced player makes good runs still looks a little rusty obviously I mean he, he came on and was immensely better than Adam John and was probably you know only 50% of what he can do because he was still having a little bit of rough roughness in his touches and um whatnot but he's just a an experienced player who's going to bring you that just a little that dynamism you want from a, a number nine who's going to make those runs and open up the spaces and connect so if he, if he, even if he's 50%, I think he needs to start just to give Atlanta United a chance to win that game because it's going to be a tough one. Yeah, and I don't have anything to add to that other than I don't think that Adam John is really physically able to play uh, again on Wednesday. Like, I mean, I don't know that for sure, but like he's just a big guy. It takes a bigger player. They just expend more energy throughout a game, you know, propelling their body around the field. And so... Um, I think it would be difficult for him to get himself up to the same level he was on Saturday for Wednesday's game. And uh, we all saw how that one went. So I would definitely expect even could be Manuel Castro, who played as a striker, uh, you know, in the game against Red Bulls at in Orlando. So maybe we could see him up top as well. I'd be pretty surprised if it was John, though. Which leads to a follow up that I think, Joe, you have some information on. Uh, Jeff kind of asked the same sort of question, but. It will not be either Eric Lopez or, or Jurgen Dam kind of taking or filling one of those spots on Wednesday. Is that correct? Well, the thing with Lopez is that he is still uh, a, an Atlanta United two player, 
And until we hear of a transaction that the club makes that changes his status, he is not going to be available for selection for the team. So it will be interesting to see um, when he is available, because clearly he it sounded like from the quotes that he uh, had a couple of weeks ago that he expects to be playing for Atlanta United this season. So it will be interesting to see how that transpires. Um, and Jurgen Dam, I think, will probably be made available for the, this week. I mean, these guys have been training, but I understand why you don't want to have to rush them in, especially for the first game uh, back at home playing in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. You've got some other players who kind of are just maybe were better fits to play this first game. And it sounds like from having talked to Steven Glass, he's kind of has somewhat of a plan of how he wants to use these players in each game, whether it's based on the opponent, whether it's based on where the game is being played. Uh, but I think that that's smart because, you know, to play the amount of matches that Atlanta United is going to be playing here um, after not having played a competitive match in weeks since Orlando, it's it's going to be a big task. It's going to require a lot of rotation. So I would definitely expect um, I don't again, I don't know about Lopez, but I think Dom Dam will be uh, playing for Atlanta United at some point soon. One player we haven't talked about, I think, at all in this one, which is very appropriate for this question is Emerson Heinemann. Um, Chris Kilroy says, I thought for large stretches of the first half, Heinemann was invisible. Thoughts? Question mark. And I, I, can't, I can't remember Emerson being out there. So this is really interesting because I saw this sentiment going around during the game. And just from where I was seated, I didn't really get that, um, get that impression. But maybe I was kind of confusing. Like, I felt like Emerson, Hyman, and Rosetto kind of look similar from the press box. So maybe I was kind of getting them confused at times and thinking they were just kind of both decently getting involved in the game. Um, but I definitely, that didn't strike me during the game. So I'm interested to kind of hear maybe Rob's thoughts on it. Yeah, I mean, he had a few moments where he really shined in that, that one build-up play where I said we had the best chance. It was a really nice build-up. I I spotlighted in my little post-game thoughts, whatever. He had the really nice one-touch pass to Bello. When he has time on the ball to make decisions and pick out passes, he's really good. That's just the that's the problem. That's the, the, the goal right there is trying to get him in those spaces. You know, with that midfield three, it's kind of hard to uh, pick out a role for him to where he's going to be able to do that. Um, he has his moments where he's really good, and then he has his moments where he's invisible, like, the commenter said it's just about uh trying to get him in better positions to succeed i think like like Stephen glass said pity and barco trying to get him better positions i think it's just going to be a work in progress yeah and i also feel like with Heinemann, I, I didn't really get the impression that either he or rosetto really had full license to get forward like you were saying it seemed like they were both really tasked with uh like being these connector types kind of connecting the, the fullbacks and the wingers um, and just kind of helping create some combinations centrally, but not actually pushing up and like playing as that traditional attacking midfielder in behind the striker, which may have been why John was kind of absent as well, because he wasn't kind of didn't have that kind of creative player that was right behind him that couldn't really feed him. So um, yeah, who know, who knows, but I would like to see Heinemann actually, have some more license to find those little pockets in between the opponent's defense and midfield, because I think that he can really still be a very effective player playing in those roles. Yeah. I still don't think we have a very good grasp of what this midfield is actually going to look like, especially without Ezekiel Barco in there, which I I feel he's going to fall into that number 10 spot in that midfield three. I don't think he's going to be a winger um, unless he is. I mean, obviously he's the option at winger, but I think he's better in the midfield. So I don't think we can fully grasp or judge the midfield until they get fully healthy and develop some chemistry. 
Does Emerson Hyndman enjoy Jenga? Only in a dark room with uh, hard rock music playing. <laughs> My Chemical Romance, of course, I think has to be good. <laughs> Did you hear? Uh, I, I saw something that? that my chemical romance's guitarist is Joe Rogan's cousin or that something like out. that. Actually, nothing's never a, made more sense to me than <laughs> that that you just said. So amazing! Wow i <laughs> i can't I can't wait for the my chemical romance song about how Richard Spencer makes some salient points sometimes. Um, <laughs> you know. Anyway, any other thoughts before we get out of here? That'll probably get me in trouble. I'm gonna post that. <laughs> Um, leaving it in leaving it in um any other thoughts before we get out of here i don't think so man we got a there's another game coming up in like a couple days so i'm i'm so happy i'm just so happy that we get to see this team play again even though sometimes it doesn't make me happy but yeah yeah i just want to say to the listeners to please you know spread the word about the podcast in my opinion as a as a majority listener of the podcast it's one of my favorites out there and I don't know. I made some mouths of the South people a little bit mad saying it's my favorite Atlanta United podcast, but even it is when, when I'm not on it, it's one, one I'll listen to the most. So if you like it, please spread the word. And when you are on it, it's like you love it. You love it. Double, triple. I just don't listen to it because I know it's going to be terrible. <laughs> That's how I feel every time, every time, every, show, every single show. Incredible. All right. Uh, go check out Rob at Rob, a U-S-R-Y. On Twitter, of course, be checking Dirty South Soccer for all your content. Uh, I've got some stuff coming up on the mothership. I've also got a newsletter going out. You can sign up for that and then never check it. That'd be fine, just as long as I get people signing sign up. Sign up. Just need uh, signups. Is in the midst of craziness with 90 point out of the game, doing Atlanta United, doing Braves, doing all sorts of craziness, as well as helping to run Dirty South Soccer as well. You can call him at JA Patrick 200 on Twitter and check us out at yourself soc the twitter as well uh yeah i think that's it i think we're getting out of here uh we'll be back with the show after wednesday's game and we'll see y'all then bye y'all